We are studying the parables of Jesus Christ. Uh, We've been through the first two of the kingdom parables. Uh, Main focus is Matthew chapter 13. And the first parable we talked about the sower who goes and sows seed in four different kinds of soil. And we talked about that parable speaks of who is entering the kingdom of heaven. And then last week, We talked about the parable of the wheat and the tares. And we talked about the idea that the sower in that parable sows Christians all over the world and that Satan comes along and sows tares, things that look like Christians, people that look like Christians. And in the end, it's God's deal is going to sort all of that out. That's not our job to do right now. This morning, we are in a parable that is... It's, it's often called a simile because it is a very short parable. It's a very short statement. Usually whenever we do deal with these parables, uh, they are, uh, there's one character usually and there's one point. And that's kind of where we, we, we camp when we look for those. Uh, throughout history, because we allegorize the parables and because we don't know exactly what they're saying, people can make them to say all kinds of things, some kind of get a little crazy. So uh, with that in mind, we're going to look this morning at the parable of the mustard seed, all right? And I'm going to, it's actually in all three of the Gospels that talk about the parable, so I'm going to actually read it in each one of the parables, or each one of the Gospel accounts. So here's Matthew's account. He told them another parable saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds. Yet when it grows, the largest of garden plants becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Uh, This is Mark's account. Mark says, again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth, yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that birds can perch in its shade. And then we have Luke's account, Luke chapter 13, here's what he says. Then Jesus said, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and it became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. All right? So here's the idea of what mustard seeds look like. This will give you a little bit of an idea of the size that we are talking about. Um, When they grow normally, they grow into fields that look something like this. Now, you don't see any trees there because normally mustard seeds grow into bushes, and usually on average they're maybe four feet tall, But as you can see, that doesn't look like a tree. However, once in a while, they can grow into large trees, uh, somewhere between 10 and 14 feet tall. Here is an example of that. Here is another example of the idea of what Jesus is talking about. So to give you a little bit of background as we talk about it, let's kind of break it down a little bit. Um, In this parable... Uh, we talk, the, the focus really becomes the seed, right? Short version, something little becomes great. All right, that's the short version of this parable. Uh, now we're going to get into all of the ramifications of that, but here's what it means. Here, the, the mustard seed, give you a little bit of background. Again, when, when we talk about these parables, people take these, these statements and they run wild with them. So we don't want to do that, but I do want to give you some background so you have a good understanding of it. Uh, When we talk about mustard seed, um, again, it's an herb. Uh, Normally, it grows about four feet tall. Uh, Once in a while, you can get them larger, 10 to 14 foot, similar to those trees. 
Um, it is a very bitter and it is a very powerful herb. Uh, in history, it's interesting. The story is told of Darius, king of Persia. When he was about to invade Europe, what he did was he sent a bag of sesame seeds uh, to uh, Alexander the Great and said, this is what my army is like. There are so many of us. We're going to come and take you over. Uh, Alexander the Great sent back a bag of mustard seeds and said basically this, you may be many, but we are tough, biting, and pungent. And by the way, they wiped them out um, as well. Uh, so in history, there's kind of that little bit of an idea. Some people take that and they run with it. Okay, uh, I don't think that's the focus of the story. Uh, the idea is this. It, it grows into this thing that it's normally not. Uh, it grows into this massive, in this case, tree, Jesus used in the illustration. And there's all kinds of interesting ideas. For instance, um, a couple of accounts talk about it being planted in a garden. Jewish law actually said you could not plant mustard seed in a garden. Uh, it had to be planted in an herb area. Um, they actually were against planting a garden because in some cases it would take over, kind of like an obnoxious weed uh, somewhat. Um, but in this parable... What we see here, there's a couple of interesting things. It's a seed that normally grows into a bush, but this one grows into a tree. And then we have this thing about birds coming in and landing in the branches. Okay, So let me give you some popular interpretations, and then let me tell you where I want to camp on this and what I think we can use as we head into the week. Again, when we deal with parables, people take the allegory thing and they run all over the place with it. So there are some people who believe that what this story is about is it is about the um, actually the church Christianity spreading worldwide, and the birds are nations that become Christian and infiltrate the whole world. That's one idea. Uh, one idea is that it's the Catholic Church, and the branches represent the Reformation and spread out across so that people come and rest in it. That's another idea. Uh, look, just keep it simple. Small thing becomes big. Okay. Remember, anytime we deal with these parables, you have to put the context in, you have to put it in context. What's Jesus talking about here? Help me out. What's the whole thing? Matthew chapter 13. What's the whole thing about? The kingdom. The kingdom. Okay. What does God's kingdom look like? Now, who's he talking to? When he pulls the group aside, who's he talking to when, he, when he's dealing with these parables? The disciples. He's got 12 people now that he's talking to. Okay? So put it in context. Jesus is trying to explain the kingdom to 12 people. They don't know anything about the Catholic Church. They don't even know anything about world domination and, and kingdoms becoming branches and all this stuff. What do they know? They know that right now, Rome is in power. The kingdom that they know about is the Roman kingdom. Rome at this point in history is spread out all across the known world. We're told that at this point in history, there are a million people living in Rome. In order to feed a million people, 
the Roman people bring in between 200 and 400, let me get the number right, 1,000 tons of imported grain every year just to feed the people at Rome. This kingdom is massive. In fact, we're not going to have in the entire world, we're not going to have a city of a million people again until the 19th century. That's how massive Roman was, Rome was. If you're a disciple, here's what you know. You know that Jesus is coming again, that the Messiah is coming again. And you know, by your Old Testament, you know that Elijah is going to come first, and then the Messiah, and then a kingdom. Jesus has already told these guys, John the Baptist is Elijah. He's told them he is the Messiah. And he's looking, and they're looking at it going, now, when are you going to start your kingdom? Because you know what? We're your followers. We're going to be a part of it. So, you know, again, this was the whole issue with the disciples. Remember? Hey, Jesus, when you start your kingdom, who gets to sit on your right hand and your left hand? Remember that? This is their mindset. And when Jesus talks about a kingdom, they're very confused. Because think about it for a minute. If your whole association of a kingdom is Rome, This thing is massive. There are people all over the world associated with the Roman kingdom. They're in every city. They're building roads. They're building temples. They're building all kinds of aqueducts. They're building all kinds of crazy stuff. And you're following a guy who's going to be the next ruler of the kingdom? And Jesus has to explain that this kingdom is not like you're thinking about. This kingdom is not like you're thinking political. I'm thinking eternal. And he's got to try to get this across to the disciples. So in their, in, and in their mind, you've got, to, you've got to realize how confused these guys would be. If you're thinking the guy you're following is going to be the next ruler, and you get massive amounts of people gathered, well, that's the time you sign everybody up, isn't it? we got 5,000 men sitting on a hillside who need to be fed, let's feed them, and then let's pull out a sign-up sheet. What does Jesus do? He feeds them, and then he goes out the wilderness. He goes up to a mountain to pray. He gets in a boat and goes away. Every time there's a big crowd and the crowd's pushed, Jesus isn't like, sign up, boys, here we are. Jesus is, I'm going to leave now. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you're going, you got this thing backwards. You know, when we have those big crowds, that's the time to jump in. I mean, we got them. Right, let's get some commitment so we can get this kingdom thing going and we can overthrow Rome. And Jesus looks at these 12 guys and he says, here's what the kingdom's like. It's like a mustard seed. It's this little bitty thing that is incredibly insignificant, that nobody pays attention to. But it is going to become something incredibly unusual and incredibly powerful. Ultimately, this thing is going to start with the death of Jesus Christ and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ on a cross. One little event. And this thing is going to turn into something so massive and so large and so overwhelming and so unusual that people aren't going to be able to ignore it. That's what he's saying. So that's what he's trying to get across to these disciples. He's trying to get this idea across to them. 
Now, there's a lot of debate about, okay, so what's the deal with the bird? I mean, again, people go crazy with this. Um, the, a big common interpretation of this is the bird Satan. Because Satan, a lot of times in Scripture, is referred to as a bird. And this is how Satan goes into the church and he rests in the, in the branches and he impacts the church. Um, in fact, one of the guys I like reading a lot, uh, reading from time to time, J. Vernon McGee. You want to know what J. Vernon McGee says about this passage? Christendom is a mustard tree filled with dirty birds. That's what he says. Okay? This is what he holds to. Um, I, I don't think that's it. Okay? Um, I, I really like probably John MacArthur's idea a little bit better. Um, and, and here's kind of his take on it and kind of the, the path that I like to go down. In this particular passage, the bird builds a nest and rests and takes comfort in the tree. We see that in the story of Nebuchadnezzar, with Nebuchadnezzar's dream. We see it in the story of Ezekiel, where the bird is in a bad thing. The bird is finding comfort and solace and, and everything else in the tree. And I think that's the idea here. I think the idea here is this idea, that this little small thing, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, this little mustard seed thing, is going to grow up to the massive thing. And a tremendous amount of people are going to benefit from that tree. In fact, the entire world is going to benefit. And if you look, you know, you look at this pandemic, it's interesting. If you were to pull out all of the Christian ministries that have fed people over the last year, this thing would have been devastating. Because you see, there's something about the idea of Christians being in this world that benefits the world. Um, again, I don't want to go too far with this, but you need to understand that um, in, 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 in theology and in, in, in all of this in dealing with the world, Christianity is that we have laws in our land. Do you understand that our laws are based out of Christianity? For instance, we value, we value human life, so we say, you, we, you shall not murder. That's a Christian value. Any moral issue is based in God. You need to understand that. That's why in secular society, they're trying to remove God. Because if we remove God, then we don't have any accountability to morality. For instance, think about this for a minute. This is, by the way, kids, those of you who are, who are in, the, in the public education system... And, and, and you're being fed the, the whole evolution, create, evolution thing and stuff like that, you, you have to understand the danger of that. When I start with the premise that we evolved, what that means is I'm not accountable to anyone because I just happened. If I just happened, then I'm part of the animal kingdom. And you go, well, that's, yeah, well, you know, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, you know, I have my dog and me and we're the same. No, you're not. No, you're not. There's an animal kingdom. There's a human kingdom. They are separate. When you make them the same, then here's a question for you. If I'm part of the animal kingdom, what, on what basis is it wrong to kill something else? 
I mean, if a fox gets into my chicken coop, I don't pull the fox aside and say, you shouldn't kill that chicken. Why? It's an animal kingdom. And in the animal kingdom, that's acceptable. In the animal kingdom, it is survival of the fittest. In the animal kingdom, if it is weak or old, we get rid of it. It dies. The other animals don't run around and protect it. They eat it. That's the animal kingdom. We're not like that. But mark my words, philosophically, when we indoctrinate an entire culture to say there is no God, you are not a created being, you just happen, and because you just happen, we do away with accountability, so why should we take care of older people? The animal kingdom, you don't. No, we take care of older people because we are humans created in the image of God. We don't take someone's life because we are human. We are created in the image of God, and our God says no. It's a subtle thing, but listen, the whole world benefits because of a God-based morality. I think that's what the passage is teaching. The kingdom of God, as it grows and it continues to be this unusual thing that gets bigger and bigger, the whole world benefits from it. By the way, if you don't believe me, read the book of Revelation about what happens during the time of tribulation when Christians are removed. And when you read that passage and you start to see how everybody turns on one another, one of the reasons they turn on one another is because the restraining influence of sin, the Holy Spirit, has been pulled out. So now there is no right or wrong. See, and that's the thing. And I get kids who go, well, you know, it's just whatever you think. No, it's not. When you go down that road, you are going to get yourself in trouble. And you have to be careful here. And I think this is what he's saying. What's going to happen is as, as, as Christianity grows and it becomes a great massive thing, all the world benefits. All the world benefits. So let's talk about some things um, for us, um, you know, as we head into it. Um, one of the things that I think you see in this is the focus here is the mustard seed. It's small and it's insignificant. Not something you really pay attention to. I think there's a good lesson for us in that. You would be surprised the impact that small things make on your life. I like to say it this way, the significance of the insignificant. I mean, I, I, just think about that for a second. The significance of the insignificant. Stop for a minute and think about how you became a Christian. Let's just take a few minutes and think about how you became a Christian. Let me ask you something. How many small events were there that led up to that? How many all of a sudden this person was brought into your life? They didn't do anything spectacular. They just did their thing. But you noticed something. And it made Christianity a little more appealing. And then there was this event or there's that event. And, there's, and if you look, you'll see a whole series of small things. At the time, insignificant things that led up to that. And this past week, one of the... Um, the focus of the conference was on faithfulness. 
and it was talking about faithfulness and, and this thing. And one of the guys that I have followed for, for really for my life, um, ever since I got into ministry, uh, was speaking this week. And it's one, actually, it's one of the main reasons I went, because I wanted to go hear him again. And um, Les Ola has been uh, just a phenomenal um, teacher and, and somebody I've admired and, and because he's, he, was a, he came to Christ as a, as a, a wood guy up in, up in northern Michigan. He climbed trees and cut them down for a living, and God saved him and has used him in incredible ways. And he's probably, I don't know, late 70s, 80s now. And he was speaking. One of the things that he said, and, and it, just, it just hit me. He said, guys, he said, I understand, you know, you're called to the ministry and blah, blah, blah. But he said, let me just make this really simple to you. 95% of the ministry is just showing up. You show up every day, you do what God's called you to do, and you do it the next day again. He said, 95% of us just showing up to do your job every day that God's called you to do. He said, yeah, we can talk about all the other stuff, but most of us just being faithful and showing up every day. It's that little thing of getting up every day and saying, okay, God, I'm going to serve you today. And what happens is when you do that on a culmination of a lifetime, all of a sudden it gets you where you are. You know, some of you, and, and, and this is what's so important. We, we minimize the small and the insignificant, not realizing that's really where the battle is for us. And for some of you, you know, some of you look at couples, you go, oh, I want a great marriage like there. You, you want to know what a great marriage is? A great marriage is two people who do small, insignificant things for each other every day over a course of a lifetime. They don't magically wake up and go, oh, it's a wonderful marriage. It's just a plug and a wave. You know, it's like this week. I was gone. I didn't expect my wife to take out the trash. I do that on Wednesday nights. And I came, and yesterday I went to put the trash in the trash can, and I realized she took the trash out. Um, huh? Or the kids did, probably. Oh, did, huh? She had, oh, she did it. Okay. So, I mean, she did it. She took the trash. I came home Friday, and we had some snow, a little bit of snow in the thing, and I thought, well, I'll just shovel that out. I'll shovel out my side or, and her side. I got home, and I thought, you know what? Um, you know, she's still at work. I can do the laundry from my trip. I threw the laundry in and did that. Um, it's just one of these things of just doing little things, and over time, they add up to a great marriage. Kids, moms, dads, listen, it's the little things you make your kids do every day. I stayed in a motel this week. Now, if you don't know anything about motels now, a lot of it has changed. Where basically when you check in, a lot of motels, they won't have somebody come into your room until you leave. Okay, that's kind of the new thing now. And so um, I checked in a motel. You know what? I made my bed every day. You know why? Because my mom made me make my bed every day. It was a little thing. But guess what? Guess what? I still do it. I'm a grown adult. I still do it. Why? It was those little things that culminate over time. Listen, moms and dads, I know it's really hard when there's so much going on with your kids, to stay on top of them for the little things. But let me tell you something. The little things do add up. 
Be consistent with it. Stick with it. Keep plugging away. And before you know it, it will pay off into something larger. And I just, I just want to challenge you because I think we minimize this so much. And we look at it like we ought to be doing these great big things for God. Listen, great big things come out of little bitty things. In this case, the kingdom of God comes out of a mustard seed analogy. A little thing. And it's no different for your life or mine. The other thing that I think you have to see in this story is the incredible power in this little seed. It becomes this powerful thing that in in the case of Jesus, as he's talking about, this becomes something the whole world benefits from. Um, And I think sometimes that we minimize the idea of our expectations and just how God can use it. One of the things that I was, you know, and again, this hit me a couple weeks ago when I was, you know, I park way out in the boonies because I figure I'm the first one here, so, you know, I'm not going to be late for anything. And then I'm usually one of the last ones to leave, so I don't need to park up close. I can walk that far. And and so I park out there and I walk back. And and this just hit me last week. I'm I'm walking across the parking lot and I'm looking at this building. I'm looking at the old building. And then I'm walking towards a new building. And I'm sitting here thinking, God, I remember when our entire building was the size of our lobby and bathrooms. And now I'm walking into this thing? Only God. Only God. None of, and I wasn't involved when the thing started. I got in early on the thing, but after it started, none of us ever imagined this. You would have looked at me back when we were beating in a church going, hey, one day you're going to be live streaming. What's live streaming? This was prior internet in homes, kids. Okay, Pong was two little things that went up and down on the screen. They're like, what? What's Pong? Google it. And to sit and see what God's done, the lives, the people that he's brought here and continues to bring here. And I just shake my head going, the guys who started this thing, who said, let's just see what God's going to do. It just amazes us. Nobody ever imagined this. Why? God said, give me a little thing. You be faithful, you be obedient, keep plugging away at it. Let me show you what I can do. And what I would say to you this morning, keep plugging away at it. You know, I'm not doing that much. It's not like some great big thing that I'm doing for God. It's the little things. Let God use you this week. Let God take those little things that you're doing and let God use it and accomplish something with it. Um. So let me just try to put a bow on it at the end here. Here's the idea. First of all, take a look at the little things in your life, good and bad. They're going to lead you to something bigger. So the things that you're doing right now that aren't healthy, get rid of them. Do what you need to do to get rid of them because they're going to, be, they're going to get bigger in your life. That's just the way natural life goes. The things that you're doing right now that are good, 
Keep plugging away at them. Keep plugging away. They'll pay off in the end. Keep plugging away. You go, oh, pastor, it's so hard. You don't know how tough it is. And I don't live in your shoes, but you don't live in mine either. And if you don't think that there have been struggles for me this past year, then you got another thing coming. Because I know things get tough. Keep plugging away. For some of you who are discouraged, um, here's, here's my challenge for you. And remember, it's consistently doing the small stuff. Consistently plugging away. As I was at the conference, one of the things I wanted to do is I wanted to come back and share something with you that I thought, you know, again, it was geared to pastors. It was a pastor's conference. But I thought, you know, I, I want to take something back that as a church we can springboard off of that God can use in our lives. And here's it, here it is. I want you to think for a few minutes about the person on this earth, maybe here now, may have already gone on, who loves you the most. If you had to put one name to somebody who loves you the most, I want you to come up with a name in your head. Got that name? And here's what I want to tell you. As much as that person loved you, God loved you more. God loved you more. And God's love is unconditional. And God's love is eternal. And God loved you and cared about you that much. More than that person ever even could. Now, I want to take that one step further. God also loves everyone the same way. So he shows that same love to everyone in this world. Now here's the challenge for you this week. God, who genuinely loves and cares about this person, and God, who genuinely loves and cares about you, has said this week, I'm going to take this person who doesn't know me and I'm going to bring them in contact with this person who does because I love them both so much that I am going to trust this person will share the love of Christ with this person because I love them both. And I have chosen this person to bring them in contact with this week. This week, God is going to bring people into your path that He loves just as much as He loved you. And He wants you and me to show them the love of God in Christ Jesus. And He trusts us enough to make that connection this week. So what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? He loves that person so much. He's trusting you to show them the love of Christ. I'm not saying you have to lead them to the Lord. I'm saying you have to show the love of Christ in the way you talk to them, the way you deal with them. It might be a text. It might be a phone call. It might be an encouragement. It might might just be a smile. But God this week is going to bring them in contact with you 
Because he has chosen you to be a small seed in the life of that person, just like there were people who God did that for in your life. And I look back, and I look back at a list of people that were small seeds at different points in my Christianity. I look at people like um, Iran Cannon, who spent his entire life as a pastor of one church, 40-some-odd years as a pastor of one church. I look at Larry Bartlett, who was a youth pastor. I look at Roger Bice, who led me to the Lord. I look at Pat Quinn, who really taught me to be comfortable in my own skin and count for, for God. I look at a Don Ryerson, who taught me how to communicate the gospel to people. I look at guys like Les Ola, who had a tremendous influence in my life. When I went into the youth ministry, I, sat, I had the privilege to sit down with him for, for 45 minutes and pick his brain and say, what would you do? He had been successful in it. I said, how did you do it? What would you do? And I followed his ministry for years. In fact, I did something I've never done in my life this week. He had preached this message on faithfulness, and I'm walking out of the building, and I noticed his wife sitting in the back. I never, ever talked to her in, in my I've known of, of his ministry since uh, 1983. And I never had a conversation with her. And I just, I, I, she was sitting on the edge and I, 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 I said, excuse me, but are you Mrs. Olala? She said, yes, I am. So I knelt down beside her and I said, Mrs. Olala, I said, I, I just want to say thanks. Because your, your husband has had a ministry and an impact in my life since 1983. And I said, but I also understand that the reason he was able to do that is because you were faithful to the job that God called you to as his wife. And I said, I know that in ministry you take a lot of hits. And I know that it hurts when, when you take hits for your husband because you can't. But you have been faithful in all of these years. And I want you to know that because you did your job, he was able to do his job. And I was able to do my job. And just as you were able to encourage him, he was able to encourage me, and I'm able to encourage other people. In typical Olala style, she goes, well, it wasn't me. I, was just doing... I said, no, no, no. I said, I know you're just doing what the Lord's called you to do. But I said, once in a while, I also know it's nice to hear it from somebody who also sees it. And as much as I appreciate the impact he's had on my life, I realize it's because he had a wife who has stood behind him through all of the stuff that their family has gone through over the years. And he's had a faithful ministry because of that small, insignificant seed in his life of his wife. And I just want to challenge you to be that kind of person this week. You, 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 you and I have no idea the impact that we can have. Just like in the same way, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's a small, insignificant thing, but it's going to become incredibly powerful and incredibly overwhelming. God can use you and I the same way. So I end this morning with this. The parable of the mustard seed reminds us that what begins in obscurity ends in glory. God establishes his kingdom with a tiny group of people, and it continues to grow. God works the same way in our lives. 
Don't minimize the impact your life can have on those that God puts in your path this week. Let's pray. Lord, use us. Lord, sometimes we just get overwhelmed with life. And we forget that, Lord, you can use us in ways beyond we, that we could ever imagine. And Lord, again, it's not about us. It's about you. But, Lord, for whatever reason, you've chosen to use us. So thank you. Help us to be faithful this week. Help us to encourage. Help us to be that small seed of the gospel in somebody's life. And Lord, use us this week. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand together and.